You're listening to Minding the Brain with Dr. Kim Hellemans and Dr. Jim Davies. Episode 18, Voices in the Head. On today's episode of Minding the Brain, Dr. Jim Davies interviews Gregory Shankland, who gives a personal account of what it is like to experience the phenomenon of hearing voices. The audio in this episode is a little rough due to the recording conditions, but we trust that you will enjoy Gregory's fascinating story. All right, so uh, why don't we start? Why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, so my name is is Greg Shankland. Um, Yes, I was working as a management consultant when I first started hearing voices. So kind of very much a sort of um, problem-solving mindset in businesses, helping them run themselves smarter. Um, I was 55 uh, when I started hearing, started hearing voices. Now it's 10 years, 10 years ago, yeah. So that's kind of very much late, uh, you know, a late onset compared to the majority of people. Who, right, so you hear voices that are in your, um, you hear them, but they aren't from the external environment. Ah, okay. The, the, the use of the word external is an interesting one. And, 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 uh, it's just it's just how we interpret these things, which is actually kind of quite interesting. So yeah. I heard the sound of two people talking about what I was doing. Okay, so I, I heard people talking about what I was doing. I had no concept of what hearing voices was. So my only frame of reference for interpreting it was that it was people talking about what I was doing. Right. So I heard you know, it was voices that were at a, a slight distance. Uh, I was at home alone. So of course I asked the question, well, who is it? How come I'm hearing, I'm mm. hearing somebody? And it was the a female sounding voice saying, he seems to be okay. A male voice in the background grunting, seeming disinterested. And then the female voice saying, he eats better than we do. I was making something to eat. So they could obviously see what I was doing. So, so this is just my mind figuring out, well, who is it? Um, they could see what I was doing. They had to be able to see into the apartment. I was living in a building with an external steel fire escape. I interpreted that there must must be somebody on the fire escape. It's the only place with visibility into the into the apartment. And the only people with access to the fire escape was my upstairs neighbours, who were a male female couple. So the two voices connected, and voila, it's the it's the upstairs neighbours. It's the only logical right. um, explanation. So then, of course, I asked the question: Well, why would my neighbours be peeking in the window, commenting on what I'm doing? And I had hurt myself that afternoon and made a lot of noise, quite a commotion. Certainly for me, it was a lot of noise. Um, so I inferred that they had heard me and were just checking up on me. And that just came from the first comment, he seems to be okay. Um, and in, uh, when I finished eating, I actually ran upstairs, knocked on their door just to say to them, hi, I'm fine, no need to, no, no need to worry. I didn't actually know them. I mean, I was living in somebody's furnished place and I met them on the staircase and said hello. I mean, that was the extent hmm. of, of how much I knew them. Um, and then they continued the next day. So of course, so on day one, I, you know, my rationalization of why it was, you know, why my neighbors would be saying, commenting on what I was doing seemed okay. If not, if, you know, slightly unusual, but not particularly weird. Did they, how did they respond when you told oh, them? Oh, sorry, there was okay. nobody, there was nobody there. No one's home. No one's oh, home. Okay. Yes. Nobody answered the door anyway. Yeah. So, uh, so that was the end of it on day one. Uh, but then of course the voices, uh, you know, I heard them again the next day. Um, same, the same two, people. same, the same two. Yeah. So, uh, that was odd because now I had no explanation for why, you know, cause they, you know, the, the, the comments were just little observational comments. I mean, nothing particularly interesting, just observing uh, again what I was doing. Um, <clears throat> by the third day, 
there was a third voice. So now there were two female voices um, sort of chatting about what I was doing, sort of gossipy stuff, you know, sort of asking the question, well, is he awake? He's sort of started in the morning. Is he awake? I think his, his eyes are closed, but I think he's awake. Um, and, and still this male voice in the background in response to the odd comments, just this grunt, just, sort of, so dis, you know, again, just this disinterestedness from, you know, from, from the male, from the male voice. So now, of course, I'm thinking the neighbor's behaving rather strangely. This doesn't make any sense, um, at all. Um, and I wasn't concerned enough to do anything about it particularly, but by, you know, uh, I don't know, day four or five, wasn't very long into it. I could hear them in the bedroom and in the bathroom, um, which were not visible from the fire escape. Um, so, of course, now my explanation for how this was happening made no sense. And, of course, now, you know, none of it, you know, none of it made sense. So, of course, I now start trying to find an answer for how this is happening. And I start thinking, well, it must be cameras or I don't know what. But I think this is, this is important because, you know, um, a lot of our listeners don't, don't know the don't know anything about this, right? So it's yeah. interesting, you know, you're having something uh, strange happening with your mind, but you're being very rational about it. Like you know when things don't make sense. Like you're, exactly. you're cognitively intact. Oh yes, absolutely. Right? And in fact, I mean, not only that, I mean, uh, you know, I probably didn't, I certainly didn't analyze it this clearly at the time. Mm-hmm. So I mean, just this, you know, the, the idea that I'm asking, well, how is this happening? Uh, it's just happening automatically. I mean, I, I don't know that I'm sort of consciously saying, well, how is this happening? I'm just saying, okay, voice is strange. You know, and, and you've you've got the answer that it's the upstairs neighbours before you even realise how you've got the question, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and I think that's the important thing for the beginning of the experience is it's just you're hearing people because you have no language even for what it is. I mean, you know, the I perhaps had read the odd newspaper article mm. about someone who hears voices, but I had no concept of what that actually meant, none whatsoever. Um, so the so so as voices sort of continued, you know, I started looking for new answers to the kind of how could this be happening question and I focused on technology because I could only conceive that it must have been with cameras in some way. Um, and at some point voices were, they commented on, or people commented on what was on my PC screen. So I went onto a banking website and they said, oh, he's on his banking website and whatever. And then I realized that if they could see my PC screen, then I could write them a note. So I wrote them a note saying, not cool, get lost, basically, you know, in wow. firm language. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and they went quiet that night. And then the next, um, the next morning, I suddenly woke up with about 10 voices just yelling and screaming at me. So, of course, this was now um, wow. completely confusing. I had absolutely you know, no idea of... Uh, right. So this, the, the, you didn't, it didn't cross your mind... That they might be in your head in some sense because part, they were localized, right? Like you could you could point to the direction they seemed to be coming from. They seem right? to have they seem to have a direction, and they seem to be slightly distant. You know? So I mean, right. it was just this softish voice, you know. So it was, and not only that, it was the kind of tone, you know. Um, it it was it was to me as if they were speaking quietly, not wanting me to hear. You know? Right, right. That, you know, it, it's it's that it's sort of you know. I think I might have said to you earlier on. There's a bit of this sort of body language to it. Uh, that you just, is stuff that you, you pick up from the context, the tone you know, that sort of comes yeah. through that, you know, that isn't necessarily obvious from just the words, you know, that, that, you know, that, you know, that, you know, that are, you know, that are saying, that, that they're saying. 
So, so there was this thing now where, where having written a note, you know, voices, you know, suddenly there were consequences to writing the note. Voices got very, very bullying and very, very um, um, aggressive. The next kind of change that I sort of noticed was, you know, I started, um, I started working outside of my apartment. I was going down to a local sort of coffee shop. I had been you know, doing stuff in the apartment before, and I just started going and doing it outside the apartment. And it didn't take long before I started to hear voices just outside the apartment door. And then on the staircase, you know, and then like the next day down at the bottom of the staircase and then just, you know, at the door onto the street and then just outside the door on the street. And of course, what's happening there, which I also didn't realize at the time, is just by those little shifts, you, it's creating this perception that voices are starting to follow you. you know? mm. and of course, in the other room, I was hearing them in the street and, um, you know, going to an internet cafe, for example, to, you know, to, to use a PC there because I wasn't trusting mine at that stage. Um, uh, and voices kind of started saying, well, you know, what are you thinking? You know, we're actually following you and watching what you're doing. So what, you know, what makes you think that you can log in at, a, at an internet cafe and it's actually... They were aware of your plans to, to try to thwart them. <clears throat> exactly. And in fact, I mean, that was, uh, again, an analysis that came much, much later. Right, right. Um, you know, it went, at first, voices were talking about what I was doing. A few days later, they were talking about my, you know, about me and what was going on in my apartment from you know the month or two before they I first heard them okay. so which creates the impression that they've been observing you um, earlier or that they know stuff about you that certainly they wouldn't have gleaned just from observing from the fire escape and that was just moving back in time and then the comment you just made that they're starting to anticipate you and sort of talk about your plans uh, is them kind of moving forward in time and so that, that experience of being observed becomes an experience of knowing. So they knew something about me historically you know, before I could actually hear them. So that observing suddenly becomes knowing. And then when they start talking about what you're doing and about to do, it gives this kind of sense of intervening you know, so that they have an influence in your, in your life. So you might just make a plan or an intention in your head and then they might comment on it without you specifically thinking of talking to them. Or exactly. This is long before you started talking to them. This is right? before I started talking to them, yes. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and somewhere in between that, I had actually uh, called my fr a friend of mine uh, to come over and see if he could hear them, and my landlady, because I was renting a furnished place. It was her, it was her place I was renting. And, uh, of course, neither of them... Um, you know, could hear them by that stage. But the voices were there while the people were in the room. No, uh, no, I couldn't hear them when they were when they were in the room either. Ah. So, so, so all you all that happens in that kind of situation is you get to the point. Well, the neighbours are behaving badly. No one else can hear them. Um, <clears throat> but now actually approaching the neighbours is less of a is less easy because they're behaving so badly they're just going to deny it anyway. So you so you end up you end up not going and speaking to them, you know, at, at, mm. you know, by that stage and you just kind of you just sort of deal with it. In fact I gave notice on the apartment because it was a furnished place I could give uh, I could give notice just for the month. Uh, so I did that and sort of and, and planned um, planned to move out. Um, and yeah I just continued in fact doing lots of work on trying to figure out whether there was a problem with my PC, eventually I took it to a technician, had it reformatted and you know, all this kind of stuff. Uh, did some hunting around the apartment for cameras and things, you because know, I couldn't think, you know, think of anything else. Um, although when the voices kind of started following me, I, you know, the, the idea that it was my neighbours became less tenable. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't have an answer, but the idea that it was my neighbours seemed less reasonable you know, by, that, by, that, by that sort of point. 
Uh, but but then I'd given notice, you know, kind of anyway, mm-hmm. so it was it became sort of a weak point. Um, but it became a real problem when uh, sort of last weekend I still had this particular apartment. I actually checked into a hotel because I had just had my PC reformatted and I didn't want to take my PC back to the apartment. And I barely walked into the room in the hotel when I started hearing voices again. And then and then they were just wow. um, being, I don't know, commanding, I suppose, telling me, do this, don't do that, do the other, whatever. So I ended up in a panic. I'd, I'd to tell you, telling you to do. Oh, I mean, I mundane, can't even remember. I can't even remember things or. Oh no, it was it was stuff related to technology. It was about plugging this wire in, that that okay, wire, whatever. Okay. But by this stage now, you know, there's a lot of voices, and it's just it's just so confusing. You don't really know what is going on. In fact, what I ended up doing was I ripped um, the memory cards out of my PC because I thought I'm going to stop the thing from functioning because I couldn't connect this to any other darn thing than my technology in some way and and I went up to a friend's place in a panic some other friends sort of came along and they tried to convince me to go to the emergency room and I kind of said actually it's certainly not what I want to do but at this stage I was just tired and you know so were they, the, they, the exists, were they suspect the it was a mental issue yeah so so one of them is is actually a um, a mental health counsellor mm. so it's not so much that they thought it might be a mental a mental health issue um, but what, what one of my friends actually said to me you know was was it the medication I was on I'd been taking I started taking medication about a year before that so it didn't make any sense to me but yeah but I'd had, I'd had problems with nausea with it quite bad problems with nausea and he said to me well, may, well maybe you know, maybe it's you know, maybe it's that anyway so one of the friends convinced me to go and see a doctor I just didn't go to the emergency room but I went to my went to my GP who then just described it as auditory hallucinations you know so well, okay that's fine great you know it's it's voices and it's um, I don't know where it's coming from so the concept of auditory hallucinations made some sort of sense to me I was quite relieved that the doctor had heard of it you know and that there were other people that experienced it so it couldn't be quite such a terrible thing as this kind of weird wonderful thing whatever it was you know because once the voices started following me I think that was the germination of kind of voices sort of uh, engaging me in sort of conspiracy theories because you then start to kind of think, well, what when you're attaching something to the other end of what's you know winding this handle on these strange kind of stimuli, it has to be something that's capable of following you. And I assume sort of through some sort of technology. Um, so you get you're forming these beliefs that are you know, as weird as the phenomenology itself. In fact, the phenomenology is very leading, if you like, in that way. So the you know the two voices, male female, you know, was was leading me in a very in a very particular um, direction. Um, so anyway, the, the doctor gave me just a week's worth of, uh, of antipsychotics, which did absolutely nothing. Um, but of course, now I started interpreting the voices as coming from my brain. That my, you know, I interpreted auditory hallucinations as my brain misfunction, you know, uh, malfunctioning in some way. Um, and you know, that, that sort of explanation satisfied me for not very long. Uh, and that was simply because I still couldn't relate the experience to that idea. You know, so the, an, an hallucination to me uh, in, in that sort of context would have meant that the, it would be in my brain literally misfiring. So some information that's already in my brain being jumbled up in some way, you know, or repeating in some way or something along those lines. Um, and of course, you know, this, well, as you can understand from that little story, voices that kind of to me, I could sense this kind of intent, you know, this sort of little plot to deceive me for want of another description. Um, even though I couldn't quite put the words to it, I could certainly, you know, certainly sense that. 
And by this stage, I realized that somewhere in all this commotion over the, you know, over the last sort of few days, I was now actually communicating with voices by default. My thoughts were half of a shared conversation with voices. So we were interacting at the level of thought, you know, so it wasn't just that I was hearing voices. I was now here, you know, literally hearing my own thoughts as half of a conversation. You would think something and then they would either echo the thought or respond to it. Or, or respond to it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and in fact, they did both. When, when I say echo the thought, it wasn't so much that they echoed the thought as that one voice was very specifically started repeating my thoughts, uh, but giving the impression that it was coaching other voices to tune into my thoughts. That was kind of the... Yeah, if you like the body language, the story, the context, that kind of that sort of that sort of went with. Like it's telling the other voices what you just thought. Yes, exactly. Wow. Um, but then also sort of you know the voices commenting on my thoughts as well. You know, so something com- so something completely different. And at first I thought, okay, great, I can you know I can I can argue this thing, I can fight back. You know, because I mean I, I certainly didn't feel mentally ill in any context at all, and there's certainly nothing in my history that would lead you know to that, or in my family history that would kind of lead to you know, to that sort of. Um, thought. So at first I found that quite empowering until I realized that actually as you're kind of strategizing for how you're dealing with voices, you're sharing every thought. So you can't even actually think about how you want to deal with something because every thought is actually shared and is a response whether you like it or not. Um, so at, and in that context, your thoughts suddenly have, con- have consequences. And that's so it's like bit, trying to outmaneuver somebody who knows who knows absolutely everything that you that you yeah, that you that you're planning. So so that's yeah that kind of renders you with a sort of sense of sort of powerlessness. You just don't know what to do anymore in you know, in in that sort of context. And of course, you can't stop thinking either. So and your thoughts are being shared. So you're stuck in this experience, whether you like it or not. You know. And at this point, and, how often were you hearing? But by this stage, I was now hearing voices all the time. Even if you were with other people, even and chatting, I was, even I was with other people. So in the middle of a conversation, in the, I'd still be hearing this hearing. kind of stuff. So in the beginning, uh, for in fact, about the next over a year, for you know, somewhere between a year and a year and a half, um, it was just this bombardment for me of of voices. I mean, it was just this non-stop barrage of nonsense. And I found that the only way that I could actually um, ignore it is the wrong word. The only way that I found to deal with it was to be in constant transmit mode. So I was just thinking all the time about random stuff, anything. I mean, absolutely anything and everything to block my response to voices because it was the response that was the experience of it. It was everything voices said had implications. So it was a bit like, you know, it's a bit like sort of blocking ears and saying, I don't want to hear you, except that I could hear them, but my only alternative was to displace them with my own thoughts. Just like distracting yourself. Yes, just, just yeah, with, exactly. With something. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I had, I had a long time of doing just that. I mean, I was, you know, just wandering around and literally and pacing back and forth and, and what have you, just in this transmit mode for, you know, for, for months on end. I mean, it was it was absolutely horrendous. I so would like vile. would television or Tele- books? I couldn't I couldn't read. I couldn't concentrate. So I, you know, I, I I I couldn't read. I could I, I could do okay watching television, and it didn't take too long before I mean I could do fine actually holding a conversation. So socially, I could certainly do you know hold a conversation. Um, but as I, but concentrating was actually mm. difficult. So sitting and trying to do a spreadsheet save was was never going to happen. You know, for 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 example. Um, because it was just such a, you know, just such a distraction. I couldn't string, you know, 
six thoughts together in in in, in sort of problem solving or, co- or sort of concentration mode. I could certainly still chat to my friends, um, which was which was obviously you know, um, you know a big help you know, in 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 that sort of context. But nevertheless, I mean, I found myself arguing with voices all the time, and actually, um, one of the best things I did was get angry. And the the the, the good thing about the anger was it made me. Um, kind of stand up against the bullying for want another description. It blotted out fear because you know the the, you know, the 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 kind of fear and paranoia were 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 some of the worst things in the early stage of the experience. That anger helped with a lot, and it, and I, and I said actually got to the point where um, um, I was so angry with with sort of voices that when they did quiet down, I said, "Come back here, you miserable so and so. I want to talk to you now, <laughs> you're gonna, and you're going to listen." <laughs> wow. um, and uh, you know, so so we then you know, and then there was just this period. I actually, you know, analyzing it afterwards, I say it was a period when voices were reformatting my brain, because what happened was they completely because they presented all these ideas that were just completely bizarre to me. Uh, they changed completely changed my concept of the world. You know, I suddenly was experiencing this thing that was strange and paranormal. You know, just as in completely uh, 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 unexplained. And when I pushed back on them, you know, so I realized, you know, after those sort of first seven or eight weeks until the panic attack, you know, after that I realized that the problem I had been dealing with of it's the neighbors behaving badly was a fake problem. And I said, I felt that's what, what made me angry. I said, I was responding to this problem that seemed very real at the time, but I later realized it was completely fake. And I just looked at this and thought, it was just what a waste. You know, I mean, it was just this, just, Disruption of seven or eight weeks of absolute nonsense, you know, that if, you know, that, that just made, made sort of absolutely no sense. Um, and when, with that, I mean, sort of pushing back on voices, you know, not being, uh, either what I, you know, what I interpreted them to be, they started to introduce new sort of ideas. So I was sort of asking them, of course, well, what are they? Well, who are you? And they came up with two names, first of all, Stephen, um, and Maureen. Now, my, you know, my first partner was Stephen, and it was a woman, Maureen, that I had worked with who was considerably older than me. And by the, I wasn't in contact with her I- anymore, but I had surmised that by, by then she had probably already, you know, already, uh, already died. So I associated you know, their, their names, Stephen and Maureen, with these two people well, did you, in my life. Did you ask them, the voices if they were those two people? Oh, I, I asked who they were, and they just simply gave me the names, Stephen and Maureen. Yeah. And were these the first when, two when, voices when, you when heard? The, uh, remember if it was the same well by, by then so I had two then three then like ten and then it quietened down to three or four again Okay. so this was now back to sort of three or four but definitely one male and two female and then a couple of indistinct ones you know that were neither neither one thing or the other um, and it's, so I rejected the idea that there were Stephen and Maureen because neither the, the Stephen and Maureen that I knew wouldn't behave as badly as okay. these <laughs> voices had behaved. So I rejected that, um, and that kind of started the process of me just actually rejecting everything that that voices, you know, not only that they claimed to be, but everything that they said. You know, because for me there was no uh, there was no point in listening to this because listening to it was what was was causing the problems. You know, I mean that was that was that became clear to me earlier on. Uh, the other problem was that I didn't have. I didn't have a choice of interacting with them. I couldn't ignore them. I couldn't walk away from it. You know, there was nothing I could do. I had, I was, I had to sort of um, interact. And, you know, the, the kind of approach of sort of blotting them out 
was exhausting. Oh, okay? sure. So, you know, so at, at some point you just give up on that and you just interact, you know. Can, can I just ask, you say they had bizarre, they would say bizarre things. So like, what is the nature of what they would say to you? You say it's all day. Like what, what would they say? Oh, so if you thought, oh, I think I'm going to get some peanut butter, they might say. They would comment on peanut butter is not a good idea. It's going to make you ill. You know, oh. why are you having peanut butter? And, so critical. Critic, uh, 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 I mean, mostly critical argumentative. I mean, it was a lot of this will happen, that won't happen. You know, you must do this, you mustn't do that. So okay. not quite so much critical as I'd say probably more, I'd say disagreeable and commanding for want of another, mm. for want of another description. So literally just disagreeing with everything. So just, just conflict, just That's, causing, sounds just exhausting. causing conflict. It was absolutely exhausting. I genuinely don't know how I survived the first 18 months of my experience. Wow. I just don't know how I survived it. Because, you know, not only did it become exhausting, you know, in and of itself, you start to think this is never going to go away. It's never going to stop. Um, and then you think, you know, I, I you know, certainly didn't think that I could live with that for another 30 years or something or whatever. Um, but we sort of gradually shifted into what I would call a sort of argumentative mode. You know? So they would say something and I would disagree. You know? And then, of course, I was starting to find rational or trying to find rational arguments against everything that they were, you know, that they were, uh, Okay. So it's worth claiming. a try. Yeah. Um, and in fact, it did help because it was, it was interesting when you, when you dismissed an idea, its power to produce, to produce a reaction was diminished because you're, because, because, because the initial reaction is something that's automatic. And if you have an, if you have an actual reasonable, rational sort of answer, uh, that dismisses it, this makes it much easier to dismiss. The flip side is also true. If you believe something that voices are sort of claiming, you know, and uh, then your brain is holding that piece of information as true when they're provoking you and you're processing it and you're assessing the implications of it and they typically aren't, um, you know, aren't very pleasant. Um, so, but out of that, you know, the sort of theme of the interaction between voices and I became a theme of understanding because I said, you know, I'm going to bloom well understand you lot. Um, if only because it was going to improve my experience, you know, because I mean, I'd recognized that, that it was the questions and answers that were the problem. And how often were they speaking to you versus each other? Do you get the sense? Oh, from, so in the first uh, couple of weeks, it was speaking to each other about what I was doing. Um, um, but from when I wrote the note on my PC, they started talking to me. Um, and I, I didn't, I must admit, I didn't register that at the time, you know, again, it was just something that sort of happened. And of course I was reacting to it kind of differently. And then, you know, by the same token, it was, you know, when it first happened that my thoughts were the half of the conversation, I didn't spot it at the time. It was only just a little bit later that I thought, wait a minute, <laughs> we're not having a conversation, you know, and, and I say first, first thought was now I can actually sort of fight back. So it was interesting for me that, you know, that at the time, some of those things I didn't sort of pick up on. Um, because actually now that I understand it a whole lot better, those little shifts in nuance are actually very big shifts in the experience of it. So when voices started talking about my history, stuff that they knew that I didn't, they shouldn't have known from just, you know, the neighbors being nosy and observing in the window, those little nuances actually make a big difference to the experience, you know. So that kind of shift from observing to knowing to intervening are just things that are subtle shifts in the phenomenology that we're actually not picking up at the time. You're just experiencing it, but your brain knows it. Your, your brain has picked up that shift in, in, in the pattern. You just haven't registered that that's, that that's really what's going on. You know, I only picked up a lot of that stuff much later on, sort of you know, analyzing it. 
So from Stephen and Maureen, so going back then, so Voices then started to make claims about what they were, because I was now simply rejecting. I said, you're, clearly you're not the neighbours, and you're not, you know, you're not Stephen and Maureen, so now I don't know what you are. So they started to claim other things. So you know, it was this idea of people who had died, uh, Stephen and Maureen, my grandmother, and a, a niece of mine you know, who, who was killed not, actually not long after I started hearing Voices. Um, you know, but what's happening with those is you know the one who's kind of just tapping into a general belief in a hereafter, which is a pretty common um, kind of belief, which then of course gives them power and, and influence in in how they're manipulating you. Uh, you know, when it was people that I knew that was more significant to me, when it was my grandmother or my niece, that was again another level of of personal um, significance. So, I mean, when they say it was your grandmother, would the voice change to your grandmother's voice? No. So it's still Maureen's voice. And- still, it's, the, 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 the only time I ever heard a voice that I would say that I actually recognized was when voices imitated my father's voice. And it was just for a couple of comments. I mean, it wasn't much at all. But at no other time did I actually recognize any of the voices. No. So, so the voices would just change their, claim to change their identity, but the, claim, voice, the voice itself would stay the, the same. Voices, the voices were staying the same. There was a bit of, there was a bit of um, confusion in terms of the, of the number of voices. I mean, they put, at one point, they put a big play on, you know, a big show on of how many voices there were. Uh, and they kept bringing, uh, I kept getting these sort of, for me, almost like little gangs of voices coming along and having a little bit and then going away, and another little gang coming along and having a bit and going away. I won't point how many voices, they were just throwing out random stuff, you know, there's 150 million voices in your head, you know. Um, uh, I mean, literally 150 million, no, it was just a number they were plucking out of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, out of the air as a way to kind of scare me and give the idea that they can gang up on you, basically. Right. I mean, really, that's, that's really, for me, all that that was about. But when they started then, you know, making these claims of what they were, so you know, in this other world, you know, for, you know as, as opposed to neighbours, which is this world, you know, then in the other world, they didn't claim to be um, um, not so much messengers as God, but as workers for God. You know, so it's an angels, demons kind of idea. With us being quite so specific about it, now, were you I were, actually called them minions. Were you a religious person? No, not at all. So you didn't no. even believe in God? No, I, I didn't even believe in God. No. Okay. So, <laughs> but but you knew who God was supposed to be. I knew who God was and supposed to be. That. You know, I had opinions about religion, but I mean, I certainly didn't practice wow. religion. Okay. okay? Um, but it's uh, interesting, you know, they, they plucked a concept that you had, even though you didn't endorse the concept as something ex- you thought existed. Ex- exactly. And in fact, when they first introduced the idea of religion, I actually said to them, no, you're not introducing this, the religion card, was actually how I put it to them, because I'm not interested in it, you know, basically. Right. But they just persisted. Uh, and then, of course, you know, they claimed, you know, they, they, they claimed that they were going to introduce God to me and me to God, basically. Uh, and they made this big show and a big fanfare and there was this whole little fun and games thing and there's a little ritual you have to go through to make this happen and all, I mean, and I, and I really mean silly stuff, you know, it was about turn this way, face that way, bend over, pat yourself on the bum and I mean, it was just silly stuff. But I mean, you were you know, ignoring just, that Which stuff. I was just ignoring yeah. in, 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 in this kind of stuff. But it was this silly idea uh, that sort of God would come along and, and, and then of course God came along who, who I think was just the same sort of male voice that kind of started in the beginning but, it, you know, claiming to be God and who sort of uh, had asked me to rewrite the Bible. <laughs> so that was, the, you know, them trying to get me off on a quest. That's so interesting. You, like. you know, we are actually here at a really fascinating conference in Durham, United Kingdom, personification across disciplines. And that's, that's where we met. And uh, we both were at a talk today talking about um, instances where voices that were heard caused people to 
Be, rewrite the Bible, right? John Mormon yeah, and exactly. uh, and yeah. Sher, Sher, um, Sher, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember her name. The other person, um, but uh, <laughs> so, so that's a uh, that's interesting that a you know non-religious yeah. person you know yeah. asked you to rewrite the Bible. So yeah. what would you do? So so part, so part of that came from some of the some of the ideas and arguments that we've been having you know, because because these voices were so downright miserable and evil, quite frankly, and cruel, you know, in 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 their behaviour. Of course, I was I was rejecting them, and obviously I started asking them, "Where's the love and where's the respect?" Because okay. I, I said those are principles by which I live, and if you're not treating me that way, <laughs> get, get lost. <laughs> you know, you're, you're certainly not welcome. It became my constant phrase after that. They kept saying, "We're not going anywhere," and I say, "You're not welcome. You're uninvited. You can piss off." You know. Wow. <laughs> so, um, so but in that, of course, they just kept persisting with this idea that you know that. That they were, um, as I say, not so much messengers, but workers for God, you know. Um, and they, you know, and of course, they, and then of course they tried to shape my role around this whole idea of of writing, uh, of rewriting the Bible, by initially kind of saying their initial kind of idea, the language was, "You're the perfect man for the job," without quite defining what the job was. So, in fact, my the, the quest that I gravitated to and sort of chose was the idea of going green. Which came from, for me, the whole idea that actually, unless we look after the planet, none of us are here anyway. Um, you know, so, so that for me was the number one, um, priority. You know, so religion for me was kind of secondary. That unless we, you know, unless we made an effort to make, you know, whatever we do on the planet sustainable, you know, all of that would become irrelevant. Um, but Voices, of course, didn't quite like that idea because, you know, sustainability, uh, is actually a very real thing. That's based on facts and science, and you know, and and all the evidence for it is is stuff that I can actually research and, and sort of figure out. So they dragged me away from that by kind of saying you're, you're the second coming. You know, so that's the job that I'm perfect for. So as I'm the miss- second coming. I'm missing something. Why why would they dislike facts and oh because science based? Ah, so so again, this is again something that I figured out much later on. Okay. So by dragging you into spaces like. Um, in fact, all three of the, you know, the three big, the three common stories that are common, not just, I mean, are common across hearing voices experiences in many, many people are the idea of what I call, uh, sort of soap opera. So the, uh, the neighbor spying on you. Mm. Uh, and of course, the, the sort of catch 22 in that is that because the neighbors are behaving badly, confronting them is actually not a viable option because they will just deny it. So you're stuck in that catch 22 where you have no evidence and you have no way of breaking out of that. And in fact, the, the evidence I have is that I can hear someone, they're talking about what I'm doing, they can see what I'm doing, it must be the neighbours. And, and of course, they're quiet when you come around, you don't have that evidence, and it sets us in sort of conflict with each other about our beliefs, because you think neighbours you know, spying on me is ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous too, but I have, it's the only evidence that I have. The next one, you know, as I say, the, German, the germination of it was when voices started sort of following me around, so I'm now hearing them in the street. So I'm now trying to find an explanation for how that could happen, and of course, I'm jumping to technology because I was already questioning my technology. And of course, organizations that might have that sort of capability of, I don't know, the CIA, the Russian army, Mossad, perhaps, I don't know, something along those lines. So, you know, so that sets up, uh, you know, an explanation for how sets up beliefs about who that are commensurate with the weirdness of the, of the phenomenology. But conspiracy in, you know, as an idea is another space where you don't have any evidence, proof one way or the other. And if you believe there's a conspiracy and you go and look for evidence of it, you'll find evidence for it. You know, I mean, if you're, right. if you're in the US in particular, you know, with the NSA and 
Snowden and all that kind of stuff. That's the stuff that was in the news, you know, while all this was happening. You can find evidence of conspiracy if you if you're looking for it. it doesn't mean there is one or isn't one. It just means that if you're in that context and looking for easy it, easy to find confirming. You'll find it supporting evidence, right? And then, of course, in the when voices drag you into the this. Yeah, so that's for me is a is is the context is the world, you know, the world we live in and share. Uh, um, and of course, when they drag you into religion and this kind of spiritual things, that's in this otherworldly space where there are no rules. Anything is suddenly possible and plausible. And of course, I'm experiencing these weird phenomena that I can't explain. It's not just voices. I say it's all these somatic sensations, all these changes in tempo, clarity, distance, direction. I mean, it's a very complex set of stimuli. You know, as I say, for me, there's more to the body language than there is to what voices are, are actually saying in terms of the message that it, that it conveys. Um, but you're in a space now where you have no evidence one way or the other. So voices can assert anything. Um, and, you know, you either, you may believe it or you may not. I mean, I, but I was in the mode of rejecting it all, you know. Um, although I still had the experience of it because just their voices decided I'm the second coming. And even though I kept saying to them, I'm not the second coming, they just kept saying, you are the second coming. Uh, and, you know, and of course, just behave that way as if I was the second coming, you know. I mean, and, and, you know, and of course, what, what the effect of that was, they were setting different standards by which they were judging me. You know, not just judging me, but judging every thought, you know, because if I'm going to be the second coming and be their messengers, you know, for some grand story or whatever, then I needed to fit in to what they had in mind as opposed to what I had in mind. <laughs> so, but, okay, but, but if so, it's like a, the second coming in a, in a good way, or are they trying to make you like a super compassionate, wonderful uh, person? Well, oh, okay, now this is, this is a little more complex in the sense that what they were doing was they were manipulating my desire to do the right thing. So I think probably because I've been relatively, you know, sort of, um, you know, fortunate in life in the sense that I've had a, you know, I've had a, a good life. I mean, you know, I mean, you're certainly very middle class, but I had a good education, was able to work, you know, a small town South African boy running a consultancy in New York. I'd been pretty successful, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, I was, I, you know, I would say I'm, I'm inclined to be, to actually worry about the experiences uh, or suffering, I hate the word suffering, that other people kind of, you know, sort of you know, might have. Um, and in, you know, the kind of swings and roundabouts of, of the sort of extreme states, you know, you certainly become more sensitive to certain, to certain ideas and certain themes. And of course, you know, so because voices were making both threats and promises in this context of this voice being God and me being the second coming, and say, well, your thoughts have consequences. I mean, I certainly developed sensitivities around you know, themes that they were sort of um, badgering me on. So I so say after literally about a year of me saying to voices, um, I'm not the second coming, I just eventually got tired of that response you know, because it just becomes boring and irritating. Uh, and I just said, okay, I'll be the second coming. And um, I started play acting at being the second coming and solving the world's problems. According to their instructions? Uh, no, not according to their instructions. We had this constant debate uh, I became God's best buddy because he liked the fact that I argued with him and I told him what I thought. Uh, I told him where he was wrong and he thought this was a very good idea, this was a very good idea, so we became sort of best buddies. Um, but in practice, what they did was it led to mania and it fueled my quest. So I had two quests now. One was understanding voices because I thought the experience was so vile and that you know, if you could understand it differently, you could you know, prevent the recurrence of psychosis. And of course, I was seeing religion as a problem. So the other, the other problem I was solving was unraveling religion. You know? um, 
And of course, because a lot of this is just happening in your head, you know, where you're actually solving this, is, is every comment voices are throwing at you is provoking this reaction and you're processing it. And of course, that's, you know, that, that's, the, that's the experience of it. And then, of course, you know, because the voices were behaving so badly and I was saying to them, where's the love and where's the respect that couldn't show any, <laughs> uh, they then started to say, well, actually, it's not God, it's the devil. You know, so that was then just morphing into being the devil. Okay. And then, when I pushed back on that, that I don't believe in either God or the devil, he said, well, I'm an evil God. By, by then, I already had um, instinctively developed two of the key tools that I actually applied. So, so you're saying there are, there are two strategies you have? So the, so the, so the two strategies, the one is the, the making caricatures. So what I'm doing is I am make, I'm exaggerating their worst characteristics, and I'm doing it visually. And I, in the caricature, I am playing with their approach and their kind of, their, their sort of strategies, and I'm giving them childish names. So, so what I'm doing is I'm shutting down the formation of beliefs about what they are. So rather than that string of things, you know, from neighbors to the, to an evil god, whatever you are, what I tell you you are. Uh, and by naming the squealy, I'm taking away their power. So you're not God, you're just squealy. Okay. And, and you're going to be my whiny little bitch. And then the second is the interrupt and replace. So every time they talk to me, I'm just interrupting. You know, I'm saying, it's not that, this. You know, so I'm literally take, I'm not going to have that piece in my attention and focus. I'm going to focus on this. And I say, it can be anything from something that's amusing. So I'll pick a theme in the shower in the morning. So I'll say, today is going to be about daffodils. And this is just for my own amusement because it gets boring. Um, and I'm, all I'm trying to do is create a good transaction. So, so literally, the, the, literally the transactional process of them provoking me, I'm going to make amusing because that's creating sort of you know, good energy. Um, or I'm, I'm using mindfulness. So I'm saying to them, mm, look at all this marvelous stuff around me. Look at that couple over there you know, walking their baby in the pram and just ignoring you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm simply saying, I'm appreciating the stuff you know around me, and I actually don't sort of you know I don't you know I don't care about you. And then I play through the things in my day in advance, you know, so that they don't distort the perceptions. I use breathing to manage uh, chronic stress, basically that that comes with us. You know, comes with us, um, and you can use breathing to access your emotions, change your emotions virtually immediately. Um, I have just have an emergency plan, so in case voices get bad, I've just minimized the consequences of it. You know? So it's, that's all sort of organized. And the other one is I have a, a sort of little mapping tool to help people understand where they've developed sensitivities. You know? So because I don't have a history that, um, you know, of neglect or abuse or whatever, that, that, you know, where I would have built in sensitivities, I mean, I still, I did still develop sensitivities as a result of the themes that voices badgered me on. Um, but I found when I mapped them, they actually mapped to my goals. So I actually mapped them on, on what's called a fishbone diagram. It's just a, a, a problem solving tool, you know, that you, that literally looks like a fishbone, you know, and the head is the goal. The, the spine just connects, you know, each of the, of the little ribs and the ribs are just a theme that sort of connects to the Oh, it's like tributaries of a river feeding into one. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, okay. as, it's as simple as that. But all it does is it helps you connect the dots between the themes that voices are badgering you on in the, in, in a, in a particular way. And it helps you dismiss some as irrelevant. So it's a big reframing, it sounds it's, like. It's, it's exactly what it is. In fact, that's very much an NLP technique. So the, the, the interrupt is the way you reframe. So I'm saying, so when voices say something, it's my brain is producing a frame of reference as a context in which that comment is, is evaluated, the first evaluation. Okay, maybe an example would help. 
Um, what they might say and how you would, that, that, that used to be distressing and now you can recast as a... So, so some of the, re, so, okay, so some of the, uh, which were the worst, the most difficult ones to deal with? So when voices were making kind of threats, you know, for example, of stuff in an, in an afterlife, you know, for one another, but I have no evidence one way or the other, you know. Uh, and of course they're backing it up with phenomenology that is in itself physically distressing. You know? So, I mean, it's not just, um, a verbal threat, is it comes with special effects that give it, credi- that give it credibility. Um, um, so, so I'm simply, you know, so all I'm doing is simply saying, you know, in, in that sort of case, because I've rejected it all along, I'm saying I don't accept it. So what I'm doing there is now instead of saying to them, instead of making the threat of something that's going to happen in, you know, in an afterlife, you're making all these threats. If you don't like me, just blitz me now. <laughs> you know, so I'm just facing it and saying, really, you're making a threat over there? I don't care. Unless it's a threat now. It's meaningless to me. You know? So it's not. It's not a. So you problem. challenge them to, to challenge act them. now. Act now. And of course they can't. They can't. And that's the point. I'm proving. They, they can't, can't do anything but talk to you. They can't do anything but talk to me and and impose phenomenology on me. So we, you know, when I say impose phenomenology, so I think we were talking earlier on that you know, I had these this period because I was rejecting everything about them where they just put on what I called displays of phenomenology. Typically when I went to bed. And it would be to keep me awake for two or three, four hours. So you mean by, you mean by phenomenology like sensory experiences? Sensory experiences, you know, um, flashing lights or visions, sounds. flashing lights, sounds, okay. stories. You know, so they came along pretending to be fairies, and the phenomenology that went with that was sounds as if my head was stuck in a beehive. You know, so this high pitched humming, droning sound, buzzing around your head, so this very much directional sort of you know, spin thing around it, with with the voices then sort of coming in closer and sort of bouncing away from what another description. So the best I can come up with is like sticking your head in a, in a beehive. I've never stuck my head in a beehive. How I imagine sticking your head in a beehive might be. Sure. Um, uh, and they were claiming to be fairies, you know. So that was their way of imitating, you know, being fairies. And they would come along and say, we're going to show you what it's like to die, for example. You know? And they created uh, an out-of-body experience and really all it is, is you know, I'm lying there with my eyes closed because I'm trying to go to sleep. Um, and there's this kind of slow um, shift of where their kind of, their stimuli are replacing any stimuli from my environment. So I'm becoming less aware of my body on the bed or whatever, certainly my eyes are closed, what's going on in the room, and I'm focusing much more on voices. And then creating this sensation of, of moving. So literally rocking back and forth, even though I'm lying on the, you know, sort of lying on the bed. But you're so absorbed in this conversation, if you like, with voices. Because I'm, now I'm just lying there and saying to them, get on with it. Because I'm not fighting. I'm just saying, do your thing. You know, let me know when you're finished. Um, but it's this, so this sort of rocking sensation, sensation of movement, and then suddenly ending by kind of almost like falling into the bed. But all that is, is, is your physical stimuli from the bed and what's going on around you suddenly coming into focus. It yeah. creates that sense, you know, of, of sort of falling. And they say, well, that's what, it, you know, that's what it's like to die. But of course, they're trying to encourage the belief that there is an afterlife. I mean, that's really the ulterior motive in the thing, even though they're making this silly game of it. It's so interesting that it seems like they're hell-bent on making you religious. <laughs> I mean... Well, it's, I think it's a space where they have the most power. 
if you believe them, they have the most power. I guess convincing you there was an apple in the fridge would be a short-term failure. So I want to ask you, um, experience voices, and, and it's like, it's as though you're hearing, or you, it's, it's identical to hearing a, a voice in the room, I imagine. Um, and does it feel like there's a person behind it? Um, there's a, like there's a fully fleshed out individual behind the this, voice? There's certainly a fully fleshed out character. So they behave in particular ways. You know, so I said there's these three voices. They definitely have different personalities. They respond and react to different things. You know, they, it, to me, it's almost as if they gang up as a team and each team member has a role. I mean, it's literally you know, it's, it's, it's as extreme as that. So they, they have a very, I say, very different personality. Um, um, to me, their behavior is so cruel that it's inhuman. Wow. <laughs> So, so for me, the idea that it's a person doesn't make okay. doesn't doesn't make sense for me either. So, so it's never positive or helpful. Well, even even when it seems to be positive, um, you know, So of course, uh, you know, So so for me, in fact, the, the slightly more difficult experience to manage is actually mania. So the the paranoia conceptually was actually very conceptually was easy to to manage because I could simply reject it. Of course, facing up to it and facing into it and say. No point in threatening me there. Threaten me now. Make it happen now. It's so contrary to your emotions and you know and and what you instinctively want to do. You know because it, because it's scary stuff. So you're you're more liable to to walk away from it because you can't you can't fight it. So you your only option is to face it. You know and say make it happen. You know make it happen now to pull the bluff. With mania, you know, so when voices are encouraging me now as the second coming while I'm playing at being Pope Greggy Boy because I wanted to be infallible and I'm solving all the world's problems. Greggy Boy is what his voice is called. Yeah. Everybody calls you Greggy Boy in your head? Yeah, all the voices call me oh, Greggy Boy. Yeah. Um, so, so in that sort of context and voices are sort of applauding everything I'm doing. You know, so now instead of disagreeing with me, they're agreeing and you know, yay. And, you know, I mean, it's... You know, all these pats on the back and, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's literally like applause, you know, so I talk about my voices being my cheerleaders, you know, in the, in that sort of context. So in that sort of context, you know, all the dots connect, you're seeing all these marvelous um, outcomes and they, of course, they seem at the point at, in time more realistic to you. Um, but of course, what they're doing is it's completely distorting your perception of the world. You know? A lot of those things are, are simply not realistically achievable. And do these voices claim to have like a history on Earth, or do they know that they're voices, or oh, are, they, think, are, they, are they, they coherent? Or they're coherent. Then it's pretty clear they know what they are. They're just not going to share what they are because because as long as they can keep a mystery going, they keep some sort of interest going, and they keep your beliefs. About, you know, they keep you in the world of beliefs and perception rather than facts. Okay. So if you ask where did you grow up, you'll, it goes nowhere. Right? It goes nowhere. You know, absolutely nowhere. They just they just avoid it. Okay, so they just ignore your they questions. Just, yeah, they don't they want just, to answer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so can you, can, uh, could you bring them to your mind with an act of will? Like if you wanted to voluntarily talk to them, could you, or, or um, if you're not, if you're not having, um, I don't know what to call it, an episode, if they're not, if you don't hear them, can you make them talk? Yeah. I mean, typically, all I have to do is think of them and they'll, and they will typically respond. But you probably almost and never want to do that, right? I, I, never, I never want to do it, but in fact, my brain, my brain, as opposed to my mind, has been trained to do it. So I have this, so voices are a constant frame of reference. So almost everything I do, you know, I, even if I'm not deliberately involving voices, at the end of it, I, I can almost feel my brain 
checking that frame of reference to say, is there anything there that I've missed? You know? Wow, yeah, I see. It's, it's that literally, it's, it's literally that my brain has just been trained. Right. Uh, and of course that, you know, that often, most often, not always, pretty much, you know, pretty much most of the time produces a little response from them of some sort. And do you think you could create a new one if you wanted to? No, I don't think so. Have you ever heard of Tulpa? Have you heard of Tulpa Man? Yes, I have. I, I just, I just can't help wonder if you like tried to make a nice one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you tried to make one, done. Oh, there's a thought. You know? I mean, it's an interesting one because the, the, the mere, the thought of creating another one, you know, is is anathema to anathema to me. I, I understand. Yeah. But I, I, I must have never thought risky. of. I never thought of asking myself the question: Could I create a nice one? But actually, you know, the the nice one versus versus not so nice ones is you know is is another important part of this thing. So I do also have voices. I should have mentioned this as well. The in the in the background, um, saying I love you, and a lot of the applause comes from voices in in the background. The trouble is the background. Mis- so it's like yes, it sounds physically distant. It's literally as quieter. if literally as if one is quieter and just literally sounds a bit more distant, and then okay. and then the. the the pesky ones are, are, are closer. Um, but the problem, again, the problem with that is that, you know, that fueled my quest, you know, so, so it was now I had this at least moral support from, from voices. And it's, it's one of the reasons that so when the miserable voices are pestering you, you, and you're not getting help from here, the only place you think you can get help is from the loving voices, voices mm-hmm. saying, I love you. But in fact, there's no help coming from there either. So in, in the end, I got just as annoyed about the, the sort of loving voices because, you know, in a, in, a say, in a sense, they fueled my quest. And in time, that led to me kind of saying, gosh, I've put so much into this. You know, it's a huge sunk cost that's gone nowhere, basically. Yeah. And, you know, and that took me a little while to deal with as well. I mean, I didn't, you know, I was, I was getting something I got angry about. Um, you know, and I, and I, you know, I very consciously through this whole sort of process, I've said, I don't want to be an angry man. Yeah, an angry, you know, an angry old man in this, you know, in this kind of thing. So you have to learn to manage your anger with this thing as well, because it does, your natural response actually is to get angry. Right. Um, and, it, and and in fact, so so the one other voice, you know, so I mentioned Squealy and then Tutu, who was kind of constantly trying to badge me about what's happening. The other one is just, is one that you know is just pestering me. So she'll, I mean, she's just saying, you know, she will say, you can't do that, greedy boy, or greedy boy, sit down and turn on the TV, or. Please go outside. Not that she never means please, but it's just these inane, irritating little things. You know? Or she'll just say "Greggy boy." And of course, my brain is so used to reacting, you know, that it's getting my attention. You know, that's just it's just annoying. Right. So, but that one, that for me is actually the most irritating now. So it's just an it's an irritation. But irritation over a week becomes a little worse than irritation. So for me, it's not so much a week now, but I'd say once every two weeks probably, I will just walk outside. And yell at voices, physically yell at voices, you know, yell at, and then just walk back inside as if nothing can happen and carry on. You know? It's just a way of venting that little bit of irritation because if I don't, it builds. You know? Right. Yeah. I'll explain uh, to our listeners um, uh, a tulpa is a deliberately generated hallucination of a character that uh, it usually takes a couple, like a month or two. Of, of rigorous imagining and then they appear to be autonomous and uh, they hang around for years and uh, some people do it to keep them company. So uh, when I was asking about creating uh, creating a tulpa, that's what I'm referring to. Maybe we'll have an episode on tulpa and tulpamancy uh, in another episode. Um, 
And so you mentioned when you uh, you went to a doctor and he put you on antipsychotics. Was that your last run-in with any medical? Uh, no. In fact, I mean, I, I I didn't go to a psychiatrist immediately after that, even though the, those tablets, the week of antipsychotics, did absolutely nothing. Oh, you saw your GP? I saw my GP. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then, so it didn't take long after. So typically, I mean, in that week I was taking the antipsychotics was when I reached the conclusion that actually this description of auditory hallucinations didn't quite gel either. You know, it, it satisfied me for the first couple of days, but by the end of that week, I kind of thought this isn't really making any sense for me either. But that was also when I had also just realized that I could fight back, that I was now interacting with voices. You know, and that sort of gave me this kind of sense of feeling empowered. You know, I could actually do something about it. Um, so I, I actually didn't go and see a psychiatrist until... Um, probably nearly, certainly 18 months, maybe close to two years into the experience when I had gotten through that sort of very bad year, year 15 months, whatever that was. Um, you know, my, my voice has certainly quietened down a whole lot. Um, and, um, but I still, I just still just found it so irritating, so distracting. I just, I actually couldn't face the idea of, of living even with it at that level. For the rest of my life, you know, I mean, and and I, so I decided in the end to go and, to go and see a psychiatrist, uh, which was um, a little, odd, you know, for me a bit of a waste of time. It, the, the conversation was was odd. I mean, this was this by then. Then I was back in South Africa at that point, and uh, you know, South Africa very much follows the, the sort of medical model. So you know, he asked a few questions, um, to, you know, none of which made sense to me. Um, you know, and I'd, I'd gone in kind of saying that actually I was frustrated, you know, by this thing because it was nearly gone, but not quite. I felt like I was 95% of the way there, but this last 5% was still, was still sort of bothering me, you know. And then he said, well, you know, are you irritable? And I go, the number one reason I'm here is because I'm irritated by this thing. It's, I'm very definitely irritable with it. And that was actually the point was that it was just this constant irritation you know, that was, wasn't, wasn't going away and clearly was utterly meaningless, you know. Um, and so I went on, on medication at that point and it made no difference to the voices and I got fat and I got dull. Um, and when I said dull, I mean literally my emotions dulled and of course that just projected onto everything. So life just became less interesting. Um, and I put, I put on 25 kilograms, um, you know, which is over 50 pounds. I mean, that's a huge amount of weight, um, to pick up in, in no time at all. You know, this is in three months. Um, uh, and of course that in itself doesn't make you feel good either. Um, uh, and in fact, the way my friends described it is they, they said, you're okay, but you're not yourself. Yeah? And that was probably how I felt. You know, not, and, and of course the voices weren't going away. Yeah. So, so I actually stopped taking the medication. And then, uh, so the voices remained at that sort of quiet level for probably close to a year and then came back with the bag. Just out of the blue, you know, this surprise, surprise. You know, I call it a surprise attack. Because even in retrospect, nothing seems to have triggered it. It just nothing seems, nothing seems to have triggered it. So, so it, I had this it comes and goes. Surprise patch, no and then they came back, but aggressively, and then I've heard them constantly since then. Um, but when that happened, I actually went and tried medication again, a different one, and it was the same problem. I put on weight, not as much. But I put up a bit of weight, and the same this dullness, and you know, it it made it made no difference, you know. Right, right. And I'm sure most of our listeners who know anything about 
mental health are probably thinking schizophrenia, but you you certainly don't seem to have a break with reality in any, you know. It doesn't mean I didn't have. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I mean, I, you know, so I certainly had um, periods, you know, where uh, well, I say particularly in those first sort of fifteen months or so, um, I I would certainly say I was out of touch with reality then. Okay. I had a couple of really bad experiences. I mean, I didn't I didn't land up in an institution only because I could have afford to go stay in a hotel, for example. Right. So I had one very sort of bad experience with sort of voices sort of following me. I was in a shopping center in Cape Town and, and you know, I, I felt threatened. And, uh, and I went into, into, I literally went and checked into a hotel. Uh, there and then on the spot. And um, because I felt safe there, there were people around, you know, there was sort of security and all, you know, and, and all these kinds of things. But it was quite a thing, you know, I mean, I was, I was convinced somebody was following me. I actually got them to bring me some, to get me some other clothes, took all my, you know, took the clothes I was wearing, got them to throw those away. Because for some reason at that point, I had some connection to my clothes having to do with some way that these things were following me. I don't know. Okay. I really don't know how I got to that. But anyway, you know, it was this get rid of everything that you've got and sort of start again kind of um, kind of idea and what have you. And as I say, I mean, ordinarily, you know, I would probably have landed up going into, you know, into some sort of treatment for a while, but because, you know, I'm, I'm a big boy and I can look after myself, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you don't push me around very easily. Um, you know, I wasn't going into any sort of institutions. I just checked into a hotel for a few, for a few weeks. <laughs> a few weeks? Just, a few weeks. And just waited it out. <laughs> and waited it out, yes. <laughs> wow. And I did have one sort of bad experience where I, where, I, where I did go into not just one hospital, but three hospitals for 72 hours. And when I say three hospitals, I literally was put into one. And of course, they can hold you for 72 hours, you know, basically. So I was held for, 70, for, for 72 hours, but I escaped from the first hospital and I escaped from the second hospital. And by the third one, they actually locked me in. <laughs> wow. Um, and in fact, funny enough, I have, you know, because when I arrived at the first one, I was so frustrated because they gave me an injection and they wouldn't talk to me. So, I mean, I, I, have, I have a couple of allergies. And I was trying to say to them, what are you giving me? I've got a couple of allergies and they were just ignoring me and just getting jabbed, you know, stuck this thing in me. And of course I was, you know, I was not happy at that stage. So of course that didn't help, you know, so I was you know, screaming and carrying on at that point, telling them to call my doctor. And you know, um, Anyway, uh, because of the jab, I actually don't remember okay. leaving the first two hospitals. I don't remember the first hospital at all other than going in. I don't wow. remember leaving it. And in the second one, I have a vague recollection of sort of, of sort of, right. of, sort of, of talking to somebody. And it was only, um, so the third one I remember, because I remember sort of coming to, you know, being aware of my surroundings, waking up, you know, in the, in the third one. And, um, um, it was only about two months later that a, that a friend of mine who'd taken me to the third one actually told me the story of me escaping from the other two. I didn't even wow. remember. Wow. But does it, it, does it seem like it's in, within your character to do something like that? Oh, not at all. In fact, in, oh. in, uh, in, in, well, maybe the escaping from the hospital might have been, but actually what landed me there was punching a policeman, which is completely out of character for me. Wow. Totally out of character wow. for me. Yeah. Do you remember that either? No, I do, I do remember that. I mean, it was a, you know, it was, it was a silly story. I, I mean, in a, in a bit of a state, I was trying to fly out of the airport in Cape Town. In fact, I was coming here to the UK to one of my nieces for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. Um, and somewhere along the way, I lost my shirt. 
um, with Royce's pastry me and what have you. And of course, so I arrive at the airport and I, I know now I'm, I'm actually shirtless. This is at six in the morning or something. And uh, so I approached one of the airport police and kind of said, look, you know, this obviously isn't acceptable. Will you escort me inside the building so I can find the T-shirt? <laughs> so, of course, the one policeman was quite happy and we wandered in. And, uh, and of course, in fact, it was a woman. She handed me off to the to a little kiosk inside the airport where there were some other policemen. And they kind of said, oh, don't worry, it's 6 a.m. Just wander down there. You'll, you know, they won't, they won't be open yet, but they'll be open in an hour or so. So just go and sort of wait. Um, and uh, as I was wandering over, another half a dozen policemen came around and kind of surrounded me and said, you've got no T-shirt on. And I said, yes, I'm going to get a T-shirt. <laughs> and, uh, and they said, but you've got no T-shirt on. And I said, yes, I'm going to get a T-shirt. <laughs> so will you take me over there so I can get a T-shirt? No, but you can't be here without a T-shirt. <laughs> my goodness. So um, I ended up punching one. <laughs> Oh dear. So um And they carted me off to the nearest mental hospital. Oh jeez. So you so you've become a bit of a public personality now with this, right? And you've got you said you had a lot of YouTube videos and yeah. things like that. Are, yeah. are, are you getting a response? Um I've had less response than I would have hoped. Um uh I've certainly I'm getting I'm getting a very good response from professionals and academics. And I think, you know, the, the, because, and, and that's probably just because that's where my network has been a little bit better, I think. Well, you're also, I have to say, very, you, you, you can, you, you speak and you, I'm going to say articulate, though I can't seem to get a sentence out. <laughs> uh, but you're, you're, you're articulate in a way that I think scientists really appreciate. Yes. So I, I, I mean, I, I made, you, you're on their wavelength. I made, I made an effort to do that. Okay. Yeah, very, very, very specifically because, because I want people to actually test my techniques. You know, uh, I've oh, had some okay. interest in actually okay. doing that because it actually offers a non-drug approach based on success factors that helps people create good experiences right. and good outcomes. And of course, so. this is not a medical podcast and we are not recommending you ditch your drugs or avoid medical stuff. <laughs> but we, this is this is Greg's personal story and drugs didn't work for him. And yeah. he's developed these uh, uh, yeah. some very interesting yeah. things that have worked for him. So, and I, and I certainly had good responses from, so I've done some one-on-one -on -one coaching with people who hear, who, who hear voices, which I've had some very good um, responses, you know, responses on. And that's actually just from people understanding their experiences differently. So at the great, one of my, my best little ref, references from somebody who came to one of my seminars, and he wrote, wrote me sort of two sentences afterwards saying, um, it's been great since I heard your talk. I applied what you spoke about, and now I hear only hear one voice, and I, you know, and I can pretty much ignore it. I have so much more time to do what I want to do. I couldn't have asked for a better, uh, a better reference. And, and you understand the sentiment completely. I understand that sentiment absolutely, <laughs> perfectly. And, and really, when I asked him about what voice that he kind of said, I realized I actually don't have to worry about what voices say. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to. I don't have to accept any of it. He says I can actually just. Let it all go and do what I want to do. <laughs> right, right. And then there was someone else who'd been here, and in fact, both of them had been hearing voices for about 10 years. And the other one was somebody who's um, a little older, not quite as old as me, but a little older, um, uh, who was very much into science fiction. So his sort of connection was with this experience was all about aliens. Um, but he had, he was on uh, insurance, disability insurance. Um, and that seemed to actually contemplate, complicate how he felt he could deal with it because he didn't want to go off his disability insurance. Well, he would have struggled to find a job again and he'd been out of the job market for a while. Um, and he was, you know, he, 
certainly was very, you know, very much warmed to the explanations, you know, kind of of the experience, but was a bit less successful in actually applying the tools, you know, kind of the idea. But we only, I mean, we only had three conversations, you know, so yeah. it, 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 it's, um, it's not a lot. I had, you know, much more um, success, I suppose, in the hearing voices support groups, which were which I went to, which of course are not an environment for for coaching people to use the tools, but obviously just talking about your experience and what I do. You know, other people picked up on them and said, oh, yeah. I've tried this, I've tried that, and that worked great, that worked great. You know, so. Right, right. So uh, if people want to learn more, uh, do you have like a YouTube channel or other ways to... So there's, there's a YouTube channel called Mad-Sense. Um, so there's about 20 hours um, of video that kind of cover different ways of sort of mapping the experience, showing how phenomenology creates experience, so how the characteristics of the stimuli lead to specific kinds of experience. It's very predictable, actually. Uh, talking about the phenomenology itself, how weird it can get, um, about beliefs, about um, the and how they form from the phenomenology, about the structure of stories. So we spoke earlier on about soap opera, conspiracy, and religion. You know, those mm. kind of three that they have a similar structure in that they all create a catch twenty two basically, and you where your evidence is actually shaky, so you relax your sort of standards of evidence. Um, and then um, there's a bit that just talks about the sort of models I use for modeling the mind. Um, and then there's a piece that talks about the tools, so applying the six tools in the, and managing your journey. Great. Yeah. Well, um, this podcast is called Minding the Brain. And I think, Greg, you might mind your brain more than anyone I've ever met. Uh, <laughs> I have not met the Dalai Lama yet. So right. anyway, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. This episode of Minding the Brain was edited by me, Mike Contos, and brought to you by the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences and the Faculty of Science at Carleton University, and made possible, in part, by the frontal lobe, allowing the planning necessary to pull off a podcast production. Theme music is plucked by Michael Terry. More episodes and show notes available at mindingthebrainpodcast.com.